Lucha Libre and the Mexican Luchadors. Lucha Libre, which literally translates to free fight, is actually the Spanish term for wrestling. The Luchadors are the wrestlers. If these walls and these 18,000 seats could talk, they would tell the story of the most famous wrestling building in all of Mexico, Arena Mexico in Mexico City. In 1932, the boxing promoter Salvador Luderoff saw American pro wrestling for the first time while visiting Texas. Just one year later, he promoted the first ever wrestling card in Mexico, beginning a streak of 64 consecutive years of Lucha Libre at this site. In 1934, Luderoth added mask wrestlers. The mystery proved to be a huge drawing card. Lucha first boomed in the 40s, with stars such as El Santo and Gory Guerrero debuting during this decade. The 1950s saw the advent of television and the cinema. Charismatic mask wrestlers like Santo were portrayed as superheroes in a series of entertaining B-movies. Battle lines are drawn between Rudos and Technicos. A rudo, meaning rough or rude, is not simply someone with a nasty disposition, but one who uses an unorthodox brand of wrestling. A technico relies on technical mat skills and are often fan favorites. The 1980s was the era of the second generation wrestler. The sons of the pioneer wrestlers came into prominence. Names like Ijo Del Santo and Eddie Guerrero. In 1994, WCW co-promoted the first pay-per-view featuring the luchadors when worlds collide. This was step one in forming an association with the various promotions from Mexico like EMLL or the Mexican Wrestling Empire, the oldest and most established group whose home is the famous Arena Mexico, 64 years and going strong. Promo Azteca, a new promotion, the home of many WCW stars. AAA was the co-promoter of When Worlds Collide. UWA, popular in the mid-70s, now not considered among the national powers. World Championship Wrestling went back to the past to find the future of pro wrestling. Associations between U.S.-based promoters and Mexico date back over 50 years. Next time, we'll explore the mystery and the history of the mask and the role it plays in Lucha Libre. In the world of the masked luchador, this is where it all begins. The Mexico City workshop of Victor Martinez. This is where the craft work of the mask maker and the persona of the wrestler mesh. This is step one in what might someday evolve into a superhero. In Mexico City, we spoke with Rey Mysterio Jr. and his uncle. For my career, the mask was of the utmost importance. Losing it was devastating to me, and I wasn't sure if I'd be accepted by the fans without my mask. According to Dr. Lechuga, Lucha Libre masks are contemporary reminders of forgotten Indian rituals and fierce Aztec warriors who wore them into battle. The object in itself is not so much important as all the history which is behind it. Certainly the tradition of the mask is an important aspect. But the question is, does one take on the persona of the mask they wear? For me, the mask is most important. It's my style, part of my soul. It's a great myth. My mask is everything to me. I kind of get nervous thinking about it, thinking about losing it. I wish it would never happen in my career, but they could beat you. And this thing comes off. That could be the end of my career. I don't like to follow tradition. Besides, it would be a mistake to cover my beautiful face. 
With my mask on, I sometimes scare myself, and I know I'm scary to my enemies. My mask means death. Losing a mask or hair match is the ultimate insult. Here is Eddie Guerrero's hair, and I keep it like a trophy. Another one of my collection. It's the most important thing in my career. He got lucky, because he knows that if he ever faces me again, he will lose his persona. Next time, we will take a look at the importance and the influence of the families and the fans in Lucha Libre and the Mexican Luchadors. Since arriving in WCW, Rey Mysterio Jr. has made giant strides despite his small stature. Mysterio saw professional wrestling as a way to escape poverty. As you see, the lifestyle right here in Mexico is it's very different from how we live in the U.S. We call this a barrio, a barrio where we grow up. To live here, it is not easy. You got to suffer a lot. I mean, it's dangerous, but this is what we live. Despite his humble beginnings, Ray's hard work enabled him to attain success in Mexico, ultimately surpassing his namesake uncle. The mask he had many, many years on his face, he is leaving it in good hands. He's happy that, that I'm bringing the name up. Take it, take it to where nobody has brought it before. Winning the cruiserweight title established his career in WCW. His incredible high-risk aerial offense revolutionized the sport. With his accomplishments came notoriety and the attention of the new world order. WCW's most resilient athlete has bounced back stronger than ever. Ray has been able to pass on his tradition and bond with the fans. His mask is his trademark. I, I enjoy wearing the mask because it, it does bring a lot of excitement. Can he be a success with his emotions exposed without a mask? I kind of get nervous thinking about it thinking about losing it. Two of the foremost luchadors from Mexico put everything at stake. Mysterio, Guerrero, mask versus belt. I, I mean, I just might lose a match, and this thing comes off. The most important match of Ray Jr.'s career. WCW fans show their allegiance with t-shirts of their favorites. But in Mexico, the souvenir selection is limited but unique. Masks come in all designs, sizes, and colors, but the intent remains the same. Create a bond with the wrestler and show the other fans who you support. Because of limited televised wrestling, many Lucha fans rely on publications to keep them informed. La Familia, the family, has always been a significant element of the Mexican culture. Never is that more true than in Lucha Libre. I insisted that my son succeeded in school before I allowed them to wrestle. I asked them to put their heart into it. We carry the commitment of being Ray Mendoza's sons. We must make every effort to live up to his name if possible. To me, carrying my father's name means a lot of pressure. I have to prove to everyone that I can do it on my own. My family has wrestling in our veins. We feel it, we respect it. To have this mask and the name Lismark is a great pleasure. With the name, people are expecting something big. He has gone beyond my fame. It's great. I think it's in my blood. My father established a great name. My father's death was devastating. The funeral attended by thousands of his fans saw Santo buried with his mask still on his face. Even in death, Santo managed to conceal his identity. 
It was great to see how Mexico bid farewell to him with deep respect. The decade of the 1980s brought second-generation wrestlers to the forefront. The time came for the sons of many wrestling legends to shine, and they have established their names in WCW and around the world. Next time, we will highlight the high-risk aerial moves of Lucha Libre and explain how they revolutionized pro wrestling on Lucha Libre and the Mexican Luchadors. Lucha Libre and the Mexican Luchadors. The high-risk, high-flying aerial assault of the luchadors has revolutionized the sport of professional wrestling around the world. Moves that thrill the crowds and devastate their opponents. La Mahi's Wrong Cradle, the Rolla, La Tapatia, the Inverted Surfboard, or the Rito Romero Special. The Gory Special, invented by Eddie's legendary father, Gory Guerrero. The Frog Splash. Developed by Eddie's late tag partner, Art Barr. Plancha, the flying cross body block. Tope Suicida, the suicide dive. The triple tope. The Huracan Rana, with or without a springboard, popularized in the U.S. as a Frankenstein. Corkscrew Pescado. Guillotine Lake Drop. Senton Splash. Acai Moonsault, namesake move of Ultimo Dragon. 450 splash off the top, corkscrew plancha, arguably the most dangerous move of all, air hoovy. The smaller and lighter luchadors rely on speed and acrobatics rather than the power of their American counterparts. Due to the lucha influence, wrestlers worldwide have adopted many of these daredevil maneuvers. We've seen the present, who knows what the future brings from Lucha Libre and the Mexican luchadors. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, last week when we recorded... Uh, well, when I say we recorded, I forgot to record the first two hours of the podcast. So this time I recorded... We're already 20 minutes in, we haven't even started the actual show yet and we've just been talking, but I've made sure that I hit record because I almost had a mental breakdown as I realized two hours into our time together last week that I didn't hit record. And I'm glad, though, that I found out while I still had you on the line because <laughs> had I gone, we went another hour because our uh, if you listen to last week's show, uh, the ninth line was crossed with ECW. Uh, check it out now on your favorite podcast service um if you listen to that show we still went like an hour talking so we would have done three hours instead of uh two without it ever being recorded and i wouldn't have known until i hung up and i probably would have slammed my head against the wall several times so i hit record this time and see what what really sucked about it what really sucked about it patrick last week is that i didn't record it first in order to save me time but in, in, in what I actually did was cost us more time because I thought, OK, well, these notes, I usually cut these out. So I'm not going to hit record until we actually get into it. Well, uh, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing. So uh, I'm glad to be with you uh, this week and I'm glad to have hit record as we uh, enter the month of November. How are you, my friend? I've uh, I've been better, to be honest with you. I've been better. Uh, it's 
it's been a rough week. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, the the curse of publishing the podcast uh, went to two weeks in a row. I'm almost scared to publish this whenever I do because something bad will happen in the world of pro wrestling the next day, it seems like, uh, as what happened uh, with our last podcast in September. And then Road Warrior Animal passed away the next day. But we'll get to that in just a moment. The latest curse of me publishing the podcast on a Monday or a Tuesday, I don't remember. Uh, so... Uh, bad bad fortune struck the world of pro wrestling uh, after I hit publish on the podcast last week. So, uh, but I wanted to get to some notes as we head into November. Welcome to um, the gets dark at 5:45 Eastern time uh, set of uh, months that we go through. I really hate um, <laughs> this time change. It sucks. I do not like it getting dark at uh 5:45 and then eventually I mean as it goes on it's like 5 o'clock I think is around the time normally it just sucks it just sucks the the life out of me I don't even know its purpose to begin with but anyway moving on I wanted to get to two news items before we get to the big news item uh and first of all is that as we enter November October came to a close obviously and that meant the end of streaming for a lot of WWE superstars. As we had talked about uh, a few episodes ago, the WWE decided to tell their um, contracted independent contractors uh, to no longer do any streaming services because we own your name. If you do them, uh, we will take the money from that and take that out of your downside guarantee. So it's really not in your interest to do that. And so you had... Many superstars who have Twitch accounts, uh, Twitch is probably the biggest one out of these, and also Cameo accounts as well. Superstars had to sign off this past week, like AJ Styles, uh, Cesaro, and the biggest one of all, though, was probably Paige, because Paige um, actively spoke out on her stream about this and talked about how upsetting it was and use some foul language as i recall from reading the story that you know her situation is different from an aj styles or a cesaro because she is not cleared to wrestle and she was also taken off of last year she was the general manager of smackdown when it went to fox that was taken away okay we're gonna give you the kabuki warriors you're gonna be the manager that's taken away okay we're gonna put you on wwe backstage as one of the panelists Okay, that's canceled. So you have this contracted performer sitting at home. And the way she supplements her income is through her streaming. And then you say, well, you can't do that anymore. And if you do that, we'll deduct that from your your pay. She was very upset about it. And out of the talent that was told to no longer stream, I think I feel the most sorry for her because of, yeah, her situation. It's a very strange thing. I think it's something that uh, they certainly should have thought more about, especially with people like her that aren't doing anything else uh, as far as the company goes. What's the harm in them making extra money? And why would you poke despair when your entire business is built on independent contractors and not making them employees and being able to save on benefits? And this has been your formula for years and now you're poking the bear and i just i just think it really sucks for 
someone like Paige. So what are your thoughts here on uh, kicking the wrestlers off streaming services? I think it's ridiculous because here's the deal. Nobody else has a problem with it. Ring of Honor, uh, Impact, they don't have a problem with it. They even let their contracted wrestlers go and do other shows and uh in on the indie circuit so i don't see a problem with it whatsoever because the more that your people is out there as long as they're putting you and your company in a good light then what's the harm in it because that's only getting more eyes on you on your people on your product especially now when you're having to compete with much more people and much more content and more companies such as impact ring of honor aew new japan you know you've got just all these these independent shows that are starting to actually pick up a little bit of ground as well and it just it's stupid i really think it is a very stupid move and it shows that they just still are not in touch with reality. And it goes back to the fact that they're late on the draw. They are so fucking late on the draw with stuff that all they're doing is shooting themselves in the foot. Had they caught it in the very beginning and put a stop to it, okay, not a problem. Podcasts have gotten big. Podcasts have gotten great. Okay, for years now, instead of trying to be creative on the network, like we discussed last week, they're just, oh, well, fuck it. We're going to stick, you know, our people's podcasts on there because podcasts are so great. And this is just going to take our WWE network to a whole nother dimension, a whole giant leap. No, dude, had you done that shit three or four years ago? Yeah, you'd be on the cutting edge of it. Now you're just looking pathetic. And that's the thing is you've got to you've got to have your your thumbprint on what's new, what's going on, what's happening at that moment. And that is their problem is nobody is doing that or if they are, they don't have the balls to look Vince straight in the face and say, listen, you're wrong. Or Triple H, for that matter. Or Stephanie, because they're afraid they're going to get fired. Well, here's the deal. If you want to earn respect, you got to be that guy or girl to just say, hey, I don't agree, and here's why. It's been documented numerous times that if you go to one of them, go to them with another idea in mind don't go to them and just say here's what i don't you know i don't agree with this period if you go to them it's like oh well hey i don't want to put this guy over and here's why because i don't want to put this guy over you go to them with hey i don't want to put this guy over because here's what we can do with it we can go on this we can run with that and then we can get at least two pay-per-views out of it oh okay that sounds like a good idea Go to them with a plan. Have a set of balls. Walk straight up to them and say, hey, the podcast thing has been going on for all these years now. And now all of a sudden you're thinking about, well, hey, we're just going to jump on this bandwagon. The problem with that is, is 
it doesn't work. It looks like we're behind the times. What we need to do is start doing something a little bit more creative. Put our own original content back out there. Start building on that again because you've gotten tired. And I understand the COVID stuff. It makes it hard to do original content. But you can't keep using COVID as an excuse. People are able to get back out and go to work. People are going to the grocery store. People are going to Walmart. People are going to Costco. People are going to the mall. People are going everywhere with a mask on. You can't tell me that you can't get a three-man camera crew to mic up and follow somebody and do their thing. What happened to the ride-alongs? Ride-alongs, I enjoyed watching the ride-alongs. I thought they were entertaining. What happened to, you know, we're just now getting back story time. But Camp WWE, I thought that was great. All right. Legends House, I thought that was great. You know, there are things that you can do. There are things that you can go on with and still say, hey, we're doing our own thing. You know, podcasts are cool. Podcasts are great. It's been around so now. You have your own individual group set of people and fans that follow their own, you know, their own little podcast uh, shows. And those fans every now and then will venture out and find other shows as well and be like, oh, hey, I like that one. I'm going to pull that one in with my little niche of three to five wrestling podcasts that I listen to. The throat of people. Because this idea has been done and you're like, oh, well, this is new and cutting edge. No, it's you are just too damn lazy. I guarantee you now it's like, oh, shit, we just fucked up. People aren't signing up anymore to watch new content. So that's why all their new content they're putting on this free version. Oh, well, we're going to give you a free version. You can watch the new content on the free version. Don't have to buy a subscription at all. Well, here's the problem with that. You're failing. You're failing. If you're having to give away free tickets to get people to come to your show, WCW, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, giving away free subscription to get people to come to your your site, then, I mean, that's – you're not accomplishing what you were accomplishing two years ago. And- well, you also <laughs> – you, you get what you pay for if you go to a free stream. You, you- Exactly. Exactly. I can understand. Just like our free podcast. You, you well, get what, saying, put the, what I'm saying is I can understand putting the podcast on there. Okay. But putting the podcast on there on the paid version is, is stupid. I putting it on there in general. Is stupid. Yeah. I think that the biggest issue that comes from this telling them not, they can't do any streaming or cameos or any kind of extra revenue sources the biggest issue though that they're going to face and this uh not even the threat of uh forming a union or anything like that i just i've kind of given up that idea that that'll ever happen in wrestling but the the thing they're going to face though is talent saying well i'll just when my contract's up i'll just fucking leave and and they'll just go to a ring of honor or an AEW or whatever they'll take a pay cut because they can make all that supplemental money doing other things. And at the end of the day, they might, they'll either break even or make more money than staying with the WWE. That's 
what they're going to face keep, is like and they're keeping themselves relevant instead of sitting on their asses at the house because we only have a three hour show and we can't fit, fit everybody in that three hour show. Well, we'll get into it about our review this week. It's like when you have so many shows, it's how can you possibly like how can you maintain interest in those if you're a wrestler if you're one of their wrestlers and the only place you appear is 205 live and then they say well you can't make any money on the side either who who the fuck even knows you who where i mean yeah you are fading into obscurity in, in the prime of your career as well you're probably in your early to mid 20s this is your prime like this is you only get one crack at this and then you you probably start to slow down a little bit and you become a completely different wrestler. And so if if I'm especially on the lower end of the pay scale in that company and they say, yeah, you can't make any money on the side, the first chance I get, I'm fucking out of there. And th- yeah. this the same thing happened in UFC a few years ago for a different reason, not for the streaming stuff or or money on the side. But they did. Well, they did. The money on the side thing was was part of it. They took away the ability for the UFC fighters to wear sponsorship on their trunks. And they said, okay, Reebok is going to take over all of our gear and you're going to wear these Reebok trunks and you can't put sponsors all over it because that's how a lot of these guys made money. That's how Brock Lesnar, when he wrestled with a Jimmy John's logo in WWE, that was a leftover deal from UFC where like they paid him and said, if you appear in a ring of any kind, even WWE, you're going to wear this Jimmy John's logo. So all these guys made all sorts of money through sponsorship on their trunks. And then the UFC took that away and then said, okay, well, Reebok will give you uh, like three grand or something uh, when you get in the ring. But a lot of these guys, a lot of veteran fighters, especially not really the younger guys, because, you know, they, they would take a crack at UFC no matter what. But a lot of the veteran guys ended up in Bellator because they can still wear all that shit on their trunks and make money. And I think that's sort of what the WWE has done here is they're just going to drive away talent that was making good money on the side. And you're going to be left with uh, people that are in the company that are like hardcore invested in the company. You're going to end up with with your Randy Orton's and your Roman Reigns, even though he had a cameo up until this happened. Um, But people that are well-paid that'll say, okay, well, that's fine. I'll just stay here. But people that are on the lower or middle end of that scale just say, well, fuck it, you know, Um, I'm gone. And so you're going to have, I think, a huge amount of talent. You're going to have people like Paige who are not being used at all. They're going to, they're going to be gone. And someone else will clear her to wrestle, probably. So you're also going to run into that, too. I see her definitely making a run for AEW. If they will just give her interest, she will jump. And that's because they will say, hey, you want to work? Okay, come on. Yeah, and even if it's not in the best interest of the talent, like injured talent like her, uh, a Jason Jordan, even uh, a Tyson Kidd, uh, people Matt that Hardy. haven't been, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Matt Hardy is cleared to work, even though he's taken a ton of injuries. Um, but yeah, someone else. Yeah, Matt Hardy's a great example of somebody that 
WWE probably thought, well, he's probably at the end of the line and we probably shouldn't let him keep going. And <laughs> AEW picked him up and let him go out there. And yeah, he got concussed a few weeks ago at that pay-per-view, but then he's back. So it doesn't, so someone else will let you like uh, performers, the, the biggest enemy to performers and injuries are performers themselves because they will find a company that will clear them. And they will work for them. And so when you say you can't make any money doing this, but we're not going to let you wrestle, well, you've pretty much cut off all my in- like outside of my downside guarantee, you've cut off all my income. So what do you expect me to do? So that's the big problem they're going to face from this. Uh, but we'll move on to something that's sort of related. And this is uh, having to do with another side venture that a lot of wrestlers do. Uh, not WWE wrestlers, but independent wrestlers, wrestlers in AEW, uh, Impact, Ring of Honor. Uh, they have Patreon accounts. And Patreon accounts, as I told you before we started recording, I, I'm mainly familiar with them from podcasts. And that is a podcast will give you extra content. If you like, we could start one. I'm not going to say it would be successful, but if you and I started one and we said, okay, for. A dollar a month, we will give you an extra podcast or we'll mention your name at the end of the show or some kind of reward system like that. And a lot of wrestlers do this and they might make little personalized videos or stream a video game or review a movie or whatever. I don't, you know, a fandom goes so far. I don't know what you would want these wrestlers to do that isn't as, um, you know, that isn't something sexual or something weird. You know, I don't know what you want to check in with them for. So, like, even when it goes back to, like, the Twitch and stuff, I don't know that I'd sit and watch, you know, AJ Styles play a video game. I just don't know that I'd do that. I don't, like, I, I think he's a great wrestler, but I don't know that I would pay for a subscription to watch him play a video game and uh i don't know that i would pay for a patreon to watch him go buy a pizza or something like that but uh, one of the wrestlers that had a patreon account and was pretty prominent on there uh, was a wrestler named kylie ray who we've talked about in the past we talked about her about a year ago because she was hyped as this uh aw signee and she was going to be as you mentioned uh, back then, their version of Bailey, and uh, around the time AEW was starting, she backs out at the last minute. I believe she was at All In, and then not part of the AEW roster when AEW actually became a company. And there were all these rumors about what happened, and no one really knew. And there was a lot of speculation, and she she didn't sign with them. She didn't sign with any major promotion and stayed on the indie circuit and worked, you know, various dates and stuff like that and worked her way back up and was set to, I believe, fight for the Impact uh, Knockouts title or at least be part of Bound for Glory like last week or the week before. And then at the last minute, she canceled on them and no one knew why either. And it was very strange. There was no explanation on the show, especially in this time of COVID, usually people, they disclose, oh, well, she tested positive or something like that. They just just didn't explain anything. And uh, as we record today, the news came out that she got on her Patreon account and just said, 
I'm no longer a professional wrestler. So uh, something very drastic going on, and uh, I don't know what. And uh, it's just a very, very strange story to me, Patrick. Uh, mental health is very impor- important. We've seen that with past stories about like Lars Sullivan when he got called up to the main roster. Uh, he, you know, had a breakdown of sorts and disappeared. We've had Mauro Ronaldo over the years have, I mean, he's very open about his uh, bipolar disorder. And now we have Kylie Ray where uh, that's the speculation here, but it, it's very strange. And I just hope everything's okay because usually a young wrestler doesn't just retire in the middle of the day. So, right. uh, yeah. Yeah. There's something going on there that we're just not uh, aware of. And, I mean, we wish her the best of luck. I think that we'll probably see her in a wrestling ring again at some given point in time. But uh, who knows? Like you said, the mental health is a very serious thing. It's something that multiple, multiple, multiple multiple amounts of wrestlers deal with you try so fucking hard and uh and so that anxiety kicks in um but you know best of luck to her and it's just odd it's very it's very weird um everybody is assuming it's mental health uh i have not got a full confirm from her on that nor has anyone i don't believe uh but yeah, just wish her the best of luck. And finally, we'll get into uh, the big story that we we missed because I published a podcast on October 27th, a Tuesday, and uh, this happened on October 28th. Uh, but the wrestling world lost uh, Tracy Stanton Smothers, uh, the wild-eyed Southern boy himself, at the age of 58. Um, your thoughts on uh, Tracy Smothers here? Um. I made a post and uh, I even shared it on our, our page and this one was rough. Uh, um, we discussed in the past, you know, and, and yes, I have a lot of, of legendary friends and I have a lot of people that I'm acquaintances with, but there's a handful. And by handful, I mean, uh, Ivan Koloff who has passed away. Um, beautiful Bobby Eaton who is a dear friend of mine and uh, Tracy Smothers. And, and when I mean, you know, friends, I mean, deep rooted friends where you sit down and you're talk, you're, you're eating dinner with them or you're like, Hey, you know, let's, you know, let's just, I wonder what he's up to. So you pick up the phone and call. And a five-minute conversation that you expected it to be turns into three and a half, four hours uh, talking about wrestling or, you know, hitting ideas off of each other. And uh, Tracy Smothers was one of those friends. He was one of that, I guess, that closeness that I was just – lucky to have um when i saw the the ding on my my uh phone uh the other day i immediately called 
because <laughs> I thought it was a joke and it went to voicemail. And then I saw a couple others giving their condolences. And it's tough, man. We talked about animal, you know, animal last week. Uh, yeah, I knew animal. Yes. I, you know, I talked with animal in the locker room, but I didn't have the relationship with animal like I did, you know, Tracy Smothers or Ivan Kolaw or the relationship that I do have with beautiful Bobby Eaton. Um, there, there's a, there's just a handful more, and I mean a very select handful more. Uh, Tracy Smothers was a very, just a very fucking great guy. To be a, uh, you know, a five, six-year-old kid, you're sitting on the stage at the Memorial Auditorium in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where every Saturday night, Chattanooga Wrestling with Harry Thornton, you know, make sure you come out and come out to the Memorial Auditorium. Well, you go there, and it's a theater. It's a, it's a theater with a stage. It's, you know, it's it's not, you know, you go, and there's there's uh, platform seating and uh, a giant stage for acting and things like that. Well, uh, if you were lucky, you were able to buy a ringside seat and sit on the stage where the wrestling ring was put up at. So I'm five or six, and I am sitting on the stage ringside with my dad. It's Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you know. And so as a kid, I'm already, you know, I've heard my dad tell me stories of, it's like, man, when I was a kid, we'd come down here and we'd watch it every Saturday night. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting to, you know, share this with you now as part of my childhood of wrestling at the Memorial Auditorium. And it's Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which, you know, I was uh, very lucky to have been around with uh, with the likes of Terry Gordy and uh, so many others, New Jack and uh, uh, Jim Cornette. He was just a great guy. Some of his accomplishments are just out of this world. Tracy Smothers had a a 38-year career in pro wrestling. He broke in in 1982 at the age of 20. He's from Springfield, Tennessee. Uh, Started out in Memphis uh, and where he met his uh, Southern Boys uh, tag team partner, uh, Steve Armstrong, and would carry that through WCW and would actually leave WCW. We saw the last show that they were involved in on pay-per-view uh, Beach Blast 92, and then he would uh, pretty much every place you could work in the 90s that was a big place, and even into the early 2000s, he he worked at because he uh, went from WCW to Smoky Mountain and to ECW, and then uh, to Japan for a second, then to uh, but before that stopped. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, to WWF as a jobber for. Uh, the lean years of 96 and 97. And yeah, I mean, the earliest memory of him that I have is um, really everything from Tracy Smothers. I've had to go back and see as an adult because uh, I've talked about it before. I started watching wrestling in 1996, right before the NWO uh, broke into WCW. So, the only thing that I really saw in um, 
you know, my early years of taking in pro wrestling. Like I, I, I remember like seeing Macho Man and Hogan and, and those kind of names from like uh, the first big boom period in pro wrestling. And um, those guys, like I knew of them. I knew Ultimate Warrior, uh, but I couldn't tell you that I actually sat down and watched anything that they did in the early 90s. So the first time that I, I came into wrestling, it was it just happened to be like the biggest boom period ever. The second, the Attitude Era or whatever you want to call it. And uh, Tracy Smothers was in ECW by that point, and he was doing the full-blooded Italians thing. And we didn't get ECW here, or if we did... I think I remember seeing it once at like two in the morning on a random cable channel. And uh, so I didn't really see or know anything about him because he had been out of WCW since 1992. So there's zero chance that I saw him. <laughs> and uh, I mean, or even like as a jobber and like I didn't watch WWF until 97, really. So I would have missed his jobber time in WWF. Um so the only Tracy Smothers that I really know, I mean, he also did uh, brief stints and TNA. He did, uh, he made multiple appearances for the ICP and Juggalo Championship Wrestling, and um, was, was still was active. He's one of their favorites. I mean, if you ask them, he is one of their favorites. That's what uh, I think is is so great too. Well, definitely. I mean, you can see. I mean. The Insane Clown Posse, but that's part of their gimmick, though, is like the Tracy Smothers. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, he's, you know, in the later years, I would classify him as a comedy wrestler, even though, yeah, he was a heel, but he wasn't, it was a comedy wrestler. Like, I was watching the other day, um, one of Lex Luger's final matches before he had uh, his neck problems and, and got, put in a wheelchair basically was against Tracy Smothers and it's Tracy. He was a comedy wrestler. He was not, uh, he was there to do his, uh, rapping white guy from Tennessee bit, or he was there to do the full blooded Italian thing. I mean, uh, you know, that's, and I, I've always been kind of really tough on comedy wrestlers. As far as I have a really high bar for comedy wrestlers, I understand it, though, as a way to further your career and uh, get a lot of work out of it. I mean, he because like we've talked about with Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair, you don't have to go in there and do uh, a five star frog splash or a moonsault or whatever. You don't have to do a suicide dive as long as you are captivating and can get booked. That's what matters. And he was able to do that for a really, really long time. And um he passed away, as you mentioned, from uh, lymphoma. He was diagnosed in uh, 2019, almost a year to the date uh, when he passed away. But um, he was still getting work in prominent uh, independent companies uh, up until a couple of years ago. He was at uh, AIW uh, up in Ohio. He was doing stuff for them. He was still... He got booked for uh, GCW, Joey Janela's outfit. So he was still getting a lot of work. So I didn't realize really until he passed away. You, you, you talked about the wrestling bearer earlier. That was some of the stuff that I saw on Twitter 
when he passed away was footage of him and like the wrestling bear and stuff like that. And also I didn't realize how widely respected and regarded he was uh, within his peers and journalists in pro wrestling because um, I think I have a perception of wrestlers that are his age and on the independent circuit, um, sort of like a Marty Jannetty. And uh, this <laughs> look, um, Marty Jannetty was a very talented wrestler in his prime or whatever, but look, he's got a lot of problems and he's uh, notoriously difficult for promoters and people to work with. And that reputation follows him. He has a big enough name where he he gets work or whatever. And Tracy Smothers is sort of uh, the opposite of that in that Tracy Smothers isn't a name that people are going to on a, you know, outside of the, the southeastern United States or in Philadelphia, if they're doing some sort of ECW throwback, he's not really going to carry a lot of weight with his name as far as, uh, you know, people recognizing him. He He's not part of the Rockers. He's not he wasn't in WWF, which, you know, I is the biggest. I mean, it's the it's the biggest company today. And it was. I think internationally the biggest company of its prime back in the, in in the nineties. And so I, but he gets booked because of the respect that others have for him. And so that's what I'll pretty much, uh, remember him for is I seeing a wrestling journalist, like I saw uh, John Pollock who does post wrestling. Um, uh, he posted like one of, uh, his raps that he did, uh, the, the, the country boy can't spell. It was like hey, he couldn't spell thug or something. Um, and uh, even somebody like CM Punk, who is notoriously critical of wrestlers and other people in the industry, even he posts something about uh, how he remembers Tracy Smothers and, uh, you know, keeping a riot at bay at an ECW show. And so seeing... Stuff like that makes me I mean, that that's all that really matters, I think, to me, is that he had all of this mutual respect from his peers and stuff like that. Because I, to be honest with you, I just don't have enough of a catalog of work to really document to you that like, oh, I remember this great Tracy Smothers thing because I don't because this part of this podcast is going back and watching stuff. And a lot of it I'm seeing for the first time. And uh, I just I don't have the memories uh, of him as a, a kid. I got into it later. You know, the stuff that he was doing in ECW, the the full blood Italians, like I mentioned, I'm just not a big comedy wrestling fan. And the full blood Italians, even in their WCW incarnation as the Mama Lukes and stuff like that, I just never got into that. He did. He did fine. And then he got work like he was at Hardcore home, Homecoming and he did the I think they did like four or five shows of that. And so he's somebody that uh, the ECW crowd remembers and, and they brought back a lot. But it, that I just never got into that. Uh, the, the the rapping stuff that, you know, if, if it makes people happy and if it gets some work, then, you know, God bless him. Uh, so that's really my take on him is that. I just look at the reaction that he got, even compared to a road warrior animal, which got a lot of commentary and it made TMZ and it made all this other stuff. But I didn't see a lot of 
I did. I almost saw more personal, you know, memories of Tracy Smothers than I did of Road Warrior Animal. So I think that that says a lot. And um, yeah, to be 58 years old and still being booked when you're not, you know, you're not a a top name that was in pro wrestling when you're not a like a Ric Flair, I guess, is I, I can't really think of like a, you know, a 60 year old wrestler that has like a big name that would be a or a flair or a, a sting, know. like a sting like that. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you can still get work and not be at that level and consistently get work, especially in in the line of work of pro wrestling, which is very difficult anyway. So I mean, I just have to, you know, respect, respect him. And, um, he definitely did good heel work. And now uh, you talked a little about uh, the Confederate battle flag and stuff like he, I think most people understand that that's part of his gimmick. You can't go into any pro wrestling thing and be offended. Uh, basically that's Bless sort of, it's the same thing with, with comedy. You can't go into a comedy club and you can't go into a pro wrestling show, you can't take in any sort of art form, really, if you're going to be offended. Like, if you go, if you buy a ticket to see, uh, like, for example, the play The Book of Mormon, if you are going to be offended by them making fun of, uh, you know, the Church of Latter-day Saints, you're not going to have a good time in there. If you go into a wrestling show and think nothing is going to press my buttons you're probably not going to have a good time in there. Even even in 2020 and even in the sanitized PG world of, of WWE, there's stuff on that show today that uh, some people would be like, this this is bullshit. Like, you know, this is this is very distasteful what they're doing here. They're saying the they're saying the fat man Otis can get Mandy Rose bullshit. This is this is fat shaming or something, you know, I mean, you can't uh, take your sensitivities to arts yeah. and entertainment. You kind of have to leave that at the door. It happens, unfortunately, but yeah. Oh, I right. know, I know. That's a, that's the thing that always gets me is that uh, people will sit through a movie or they will sit through whatever and then they'll write uh, a paragraph about it. You sat through it. What what did you think you were getting into here? Do you not understand? Or, you know, uh, you have to have an understanding of what what are you going into blindly, really, uh, to anything? What are you... <laughs> I mean, I just... Uh, are you not in on it? I mean, this isn't even... Uh, re- is wrestling real or fake? This isn't even that. It's Are you aware that this is just a show and that this is not... Um, it it kind of reminds me of like in the in the early 90s the the people that were calling for like the boycott of video games because of Mortal Kombat and oh it's so violent it's like you realize this is just a video game right guys so this is and and then and then what did video games do they got even more violent and crazy after that so all you do is just I mean I just don't understand when you partake in a in a form of entertainment whatever it may be that you walk away offended but that's also i mean i say that about pro wrestling but some of the 
most hilarious shit that happens in pro wrestling events is from people that don't understand what, what what's going on. And so you get like when the NWO was formed at Bash at the Beach, you get the guy running into the ring and getting the shit kicked out of him by Scott Hall and you you get stuff like that. So even though I, I discourage people from uh, partaking in something you don't understand, uh, it does make for some good moments every once in a while where I can get a laugh out of it. And I think that I think that's uh, the thing with, with with Tracy Smothers and anything that he does. I mean, if 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 I, if I was if I was an Italian American, I would be kind of offended that this man from Nashville, who is clearly not Italian at all, is in there doing a Sopranos gimmick. And uh, I mean, so it's not even just uh, it's not even just a Confederate flag. I mean, you can get yeah. you can split hairs on everything. So yeah. It's the circus. I mean, yeah. that is what it is. It's oh, and he has he has a, a list of accomplishments. A you know a football field long, but I mean, just some of the some of the major ones that I'll skim over is NWA Florida Tag Team Champions with Steve Armstrong. He was the uh, NWA Mid American Heavyweight Champion, which was. Used to be the Mid-Atlantic, which turned into the Mid-American. The Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Champion, two separate times. I mean, he we're talking about all over the world he is known for. It's not just here. It's not just Japan. He was literally known for all around the world, which is insane. You know, like you said, flew under the radar. Not everybody knew him, but when you knew when you saw him, you knew he was somebody. But we've gone on long enough about him. I will say, though, that he will be missed uh, not by me, but by millions upon millions of fans and friends and family. All right, well, we'll get into this week's review, which was your pick, which was in the Hidden Gems section of the WWE Network. This is WCW's Festival de Lucha is a good idea in theory because uh, WCW, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, um, they always wanted to expand their international reach and they never had the international reach that the WWF did. Uh, Even into Canada, even just the country right next to you, I mean, or Mexico, uh, but Canada for sure I know didn't get Nitro, even during its heyday, in its complete form, they got like a cut-down hour version later in the week. So even in Canada, they weren't competing with the WWF on a level playing field. And then you go overseas, and you go to places like the United Kingdom or India or other big wrestling markets, and WCW was non-existent until... Towards the the very end of WCW, I think they made it into the UK and Ireland, but that was it. And they never, like like I mentioned to you, people like Bret Hart or Hulk Hogan. Um, I mean, Bret Hart's a better example because I think Hulk Hogan transcends the company. But WWF could take whoever its champion was overseas, and people would know who he was. Where if WCW tried to do a tour, they would say. Who are you? Why are we buying tickets to this? What is this? Who are you? Even somebody marketable like Sting wouldn't be known outside of the U.S. And so 
That was one thing WCW always failed at. And when they tried it in uh, small pieces here and there, like when they ran that show in Japan, that super card with Ric Flair, that was a big success. When they took Nitro, they took Nitro and ran the Sky Dome in Toronto, a building the same size as like the Georgia Dome, and packed it out. And even in 2000, when the company was on its back, like when it was about to go out of business, they went to Australia and did very well. So they had a product that they could take around the world, but they never figured out how to do that. And that's a historical problem with WCW going back before Eric Bischoff was there, before they found success, before anything else. This is a... Uh, a lifelong problem of WCW is, is to escape the um, stigma of Southern wrestling and to be able to be recognized as a legitimate company worldwide. And so we stumble into 1999 and we're in January and uh, this takes place January 27th of 1999, which if you go back in WCW history, January 1999, not a good month for them, because uh, January 4th was the finger poke of doom, and Mankind winning the title on Raw the same week. And uh, with that finger poke, a lot of people will say that was pretty much they, they killed the company just a few weeks before this taping. So not good timing for this uh, attempted expansion into... Uh, the Mexican and Southwestern United States market as they wanted to get on Telemundo. And uh, uh, they did this press release as sent out from January 20th, so a week before. Eric Bischoff, Conan, and others today gathered at one CNN center to reveal details about a new show developed for the Telemundo television network. Uh, entitled Festival de Lucha, it'll focus on the Mexican imports of WCW and will be ran essentially separately from the rest of WCW. The wrestlers will compete on other shows, but this show will have its own recurrent storylines from week to week to bring in Hispanic fans who prefer their traditional Lucha Libre style of wrestling. Uh, Patrick, originally every match will be two out of three falls, and the primary emphasis will be on trios matches, which... We can see in this a three on three affair, and they're even going to bring in a trio's title, Patrick. So more belts for this company and the original card for this show, the build card anyway, was going to feature a main event with Scott Steiner and Conan. I would have loved to have seen Scott Steiner in this environment in Waco, Texas, (laughs) um, on this forgotten about crazy card. They also had uh, Billy Kidman was booked against Kaz Hayashi, which I would have liked to have seen. Uh, They had uh, matches with Benoit and Malenko. They had a completely different card than what we ended up getting here. But what we ended up getting on this network version is an incomplete show, an incomplete thought. This is two hours of, hey, let's put these matches. Some of them, it looks like they tried different combinations to see who would work well as a trios uh, uh, tag team or who would work well as a faction and shoot a couple of matches with them with different arrangements. And uh, only one in-ring promo the whole night. So you really don't know what direction they were going to take this show in. And 
I would have been curious. I wish that we could have seen a final product to even see what they had planned. As I mentioned to you, it's very strange they didn't do more in-ring promos, that they were, I guess, going to fill this all with pre-tapes, and it would have just been weird to yeah. do do no other in-ring promo stuff. Um, this is, uh, anyway, this was taped at the Heart of Texas Fairgrounds in front of 2,400 people who were probably all given tickets for free. I imagine nobody paid for this. And if they did, I feel very sorry for them because they would have been extremely confused um, as to what they had seen. And um, But your first thoughts on turning on Festival Day Lucha, what did you think of the set and... I was excited. I I was really excited. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, we start off with a bunch of dancers, and I'm thinking, okay, this is interesting. And then we have some break straight out into a great match. Uh, it was just, uh, it was really exciting. I loved the idea. I loved the concept that it, was giving and i just thought wow this is really really fucking cool no i yeah on on paper and then yeah when you first turn it on they've got a nice set they've got uh it looks like you're in tijuana or somewhere with uh the building exterior you've got a mariachi band with dancers uh salsa dancers and uh men and women a lot more women than men this was like uh, the Hispanic version of the Nitro Girls here. Yes. Um, and yeah, it looks like, okay, they, there's something here. Unfortunately, that's about as far as it gets, as far as production value goes. And um, I'll talk about it, I guess, a little bit at the end, but this also goes back to Eric Bischoff being completely swamped by the amount of work that was going into WCW and all the TV that they already had to tape. And now you want one more show and this show is going to be separate. Like this is a heavy workload and this show is going to have separate storylines, but we're going to also have these guys on nitro and thunder. And so in addition to nitro thunder worldwide main events, Saturday night, Everything else they were doing, whatever house shows they were running, were also going to tape this. So I almost think that Bischoff purposely bombed this pilot because he understood we cannot handle this workload. And, (laughs) like, we just can't do it. Like, we just can't handle any more and stretch our production team thinner and our wrestlers thinner and still compete with WWF, who, by the way, is winning the war at this point. So we're we're trying to play catch up and you're adding more stuff for us to do. Also, a big a big hit they took going into this show. And it wasn't obviously whatever. However long this was in the works, they couldn't predict this. But Eddie Guerrero had his car accident at New Year's Eve. Yes. And so they lost probably their biggest personality that they could bring into this market and also lost his entering ability. Right. A great match to, to end this would have been Eddie Guerrero versus Conan. And so I think, yeah, that would have been a great 
main event. And if I have my thoughts, I believe that's what the main event would have been. Um, yeah, and and also that also took away. He was the leader of the LWO, which uh, I assume they would have worked into this somehow. Uh, yeah. And then that got that got disbanded like two weeks before this taping. So uh, a lot of these guys on on the main roster, I'll call it, but a lot of these guys on WCW main programming were now rudderless because they had just had the LWO thing killed. Yeah, timing was just not good for this show, to say the least. And right away on the network, we know timing's not good because we get the technical difficulties warning. But yeah. I don't know exactly what we're missing because there's no commentary on here. I assume they were all going to do that in, in post-production because, like I mentioned, WCW not having an international market. I don't think they had a regular Spanish announced team. So there's no commentary on here. I don't know what we're missing because this is incomplete anyway. Um, some of the, the theme songs I think were dubbed over, but outside of that, I, I can't really see any like tomfoolery from the network on here. Uh, as I mentioned, we get the mariachi band and dancers around the saloon exterior set, which looks really nice. And uh, Silver King comes out and he lassos a woman. He can work a lasso and he walks towards the ring. He's followed by Venom who sort of has a similar look to Psychosis. He actually looks like the exact, uh, like a Bizarro World Psychosis, because he wears all white and uh, has the crazy mask, which he would later ditch in the second half of this show for face paint, which I thought was kind of weird, because I thought masks were sort of a big deal, and you didn't ever lose them, ever, even for face paint. So, yeah, that's Venom. And uh, then Kendo, who looks like if you said to me, make a creator wrestler luchador in WWE 2K in like five minutes, go. That is what Kendo looks like, because he's got like a red mask and like all like a black T-shirt and stuff. He just looks like I threw him together in two seconds. (laughs) Uh, There's nothing really that stands out about Kendo. Um, The mariachi band leaves, and then we get some generic rock music, WCW Track 20 on their generic rock music. And the heels for this match are Felino, who is a Tiger Man, uh, Superboy, and Viano 5. So we all know what Viano 5 looks like. As I mentioned, Felano was a cat. And then Superboy, though, compared to the others, this man was fucking massive. This was... um, (laughs) Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, He's shorter than Bam Bam, but it's the same thing. If I said, Bam Bam, throw this mask on and go wrestle. And that is uh, Superboy, which is probably the worst wrestling name I think I've ever heard. Superboy. He is fucking massive, and he has a sleeveless shirt and black pants. He's pretty generic, too, other than being so massive compared to everybody else. Volano 5 starts with Venom, and Venom lands a handspring kick that takes him out as Silver King and Felino come into the match. Remember, all these matches, tags, they don't matter. Or sometimes they do, just depending on how the wrestler feels. Do I want to tag you or not? If we're both out of the ring, then some other people can come in. Let, okay, and, let me explain. Let me explain. In, in original AAA Lucha Mexico City wrestling rules, a tag match, you can tag if you want to stay in the ring. However, if 
a member of your team goes outside or is thrown outside, the next member is allowed to come in without attack. That is that is literally. I'm not exaggerating. Oh yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I think I knew that uh, going that in. Is but Mexico City wrestling. That is Mexico wrestling rules. But to watch it in action and, you know, having that rule is fine. But then when you go to regular tags, I find it to be strange. It's jarring Um, when it happens. These matches, like like you said, it was trying to capture the essence of AAA, which I think by this point, WCW had ended its relationship with AAA by 99. So they're trying to capture that essence. But. Their execution was somewhere between. Um, they tried to Americanize it, in the, if that makes any sense. It, it kind of fell somewhere in between, and it wasn't as action-packed as I think you would expect from watching those great six-man tags and stuff on Nitro. It kind of felt slower. It kind of felt, and this was throughout the night. This was everybody from Rey Mysterio to Superboy. This was from the best to uh, some random luchadors. This was everybody just, it felt like they were going half speed and they probably, and that's also because they didn't know what the fuck, like they weren't given any storyline. They weren't told how to build any, like they didn't know what they were building. So it's like, how do you go out there and work uh, a match and try to build anything when you don't know exactly what the storyline is or if you're even going to be facing this guy or if this show's even going to be picked up so all the matches kind of fall flat to me and um it's unfortunate because yeah there's a lot of talent on this show but it just it never really picks up but uh silver king hits a tilt a world backbreaker and superboy comes in to face kendo kendo lands a kick this in superboy out so viano takes over with venom who uh, he hands to Felino for a super nasty-looking powerbomb from the top turnbuckle. This was Felino's thing. Uh, the Catman, he, he, all he wanted to do was hit nasty fucking powerbombs on everybody all night, which is great. But you, I think that's the problem, too, with super moves in, in, in this version of Lucha Libre Wrestling, is like, if I hit you with a super powerbomb that should probably be the end of the match for you. That That's not something you just roll up, you get up from. And unfortunately, uh, Felino, he, he just wants to do that as a transitional move. Like all these super power bombs, tiger bombs. This guy was fucking power bombing everybody, every move. Kendo comes back in, takes all three heels on by himself. Venom then runs in, lands a roundhouse, sending Villano. Viano, sorry, uh, the double L's always get me. Out to the mats with the other heels. Kendo hits a suicide dive to them. Venom baseball sides. Felino hits a corkscrew plancha from the apron. Now it's just Silver King and Superboy. Uh, Silver King hits the airplane spin slam to Superboy and gets the win with a pinfall. So the little man beats the giant man and Silver King gets the win here for the opening match and... Uh, the faces, Silver King's team gets a big ovation as we cut to black. So this might have been filmed first because the audience wasn't totally gassed here. And a decent uh, opener, but I I had greater expectations going forward. What did you What did you think of this opening match? I enjoyed it. Uh, it did what a good opening match does at first is uh, 
get it to kick off and start from there and just see where, you know, get it up and going. Yeah, the uh, the Spanish announcer introduces Jimmy Hart to bring out his team of guys uh, who also uh, one of the guys has a female doll in a noose for some reason. This was Seiko Pato, so psychopath, I think in Spanish. Uh, but he had a, a, a like a blow up doll in a noose. This was very strange. Uh, but they all have an interview. And uh, but it's not translated, even in the closed captioning. So and it's not subtitled. And even though I had uh, many years of Spanish, I do not know what they said. So sorry. The the one promo of the night, I I got nothing from it because uh, Jimmy Hart just basically hands it off to them. And also, I mean, his all these teams of faces and heels change changes throughout the night uh, as we go from hour one to hour two. So I don't know that his team was even the same in the second hour. I think it was the the faces definitely swapped members throughout the night. There was only I'd say this this cast of wrestlers was like 20 people and they were all going to work two or three matches apiece. So you got a lot of the similar combinations, but different if that makes any sense the lucha girls not to be confused with the nitro girls are here to dance and super calo la parka they're joined by salsero who this guy uh a salsa dancing man uh had very flamboyant colors i guess is what you would say he had i mean he had salsa dancing colors fandango eat your heart out salsero was the original uh they're taking on damien uh and El Mosco and Halloween. And uh, so you picked this show for Halloween, and there's a wrestler on here called Halloween. So congrats to you uh, for that. Damien, he wears face paint. Mosco has a headband but no mask. And Halloween, well, he looks like a, a pumpkin suit man. Uh, Super Calo starts with Mosco before all the teams jump in and brawl. Damien clotheslines Salsero and stomps him down behind the ref's back, which, by the way... These matches, Patrick, had two referees all the time. You would think that with two referees, they wouldn't fuck up at all. That would not be the case, Patrick. Very surprising, to say the least, because they didn't bring any WCW refs in. So there's no Charles Robinson. There's no Nick Patrick. This was taped on a Wednesday, so I guess those guys had the day off. Uh, They used... They used Hispanic referees, but they weren't referees that were on their payroll. So I don't know where they got these guys. And they fucked up uh, quite a bit tonight. I almost think that Bischoff did it on purpose because he didn't want this to get picked up. So uh, Salcero regains control and his team stomped down Damien. Salcero's mullet braids are something to be admired. Road Dog would be jealous of these braids. Uh, Salcero manages to get all the heels outside and then fakes them out by pretending to dive. Ha ha, guys, I'm not going to dive. And so he just slaps one of them. He stops at the edge of the ring and just smacks one of them. Laparka takes over, does his strutting and posing before Halloween chops him down. Laparka chants from the crowd as Laparka was the most over guy of the night between anybody because he has personality. And a lot of these other guys, even a Rey Mysterio, not a lot of personality from them. And at least with Laparka, you get the dancing, you get the chair. Uh, the crowd was familiar with him, so you get Laparka chance here. Damien brings in a kendo stick, not the wrestler kendo, but Laparka uses it on all the heels, 
and then he uses one of the uh, one of the refs to try to pin him. The ref then counts a three, and the bell rings, even though the shoulders are up way before three, and the match just continues. No explanation, no stopping. So then everyone tries splashes from the turnbuckle. Super Callow takes Halloween out of the ring and dives on him. Moscow lands a flying head scissors to him from the apron. A giant acai moonsault from Salsera out to all of them. So Laparca is left alone with Damien. Laparca hits a corkscrew plancha. Yes, Laparca doing some aerial stuff here. Hits uh, plancha from the buckle to Damien and gets the win, which does count this time. So... What did you think of this second match with Laparca and the gang? I, I liked it because it had Laparca in it, but there was a lot of miscalculation when it came to the referees and the match keep the match in general. You would think having two referees would be better for a match, but not it didn't work out in this case. Well, and also there there is a lot of like sloppy lucha wrestling on here. A lot of very weak-looking arm drags, a lot of weak-looking kicks and stuff that misses by a mile. But remember, this is a rough cut, so if they were going to edit around it, they they didn't. So, But there's a lot of sloppy lucha on here, and uh, sloppy lucha is no good for anybody. Uh, we get more lucha girls dancing this time with some other dancers. They have men with them, so they have some lucha men. Uh, Blitzkrieg, Peloto, Suicida, and Raul are out to take on El Texano. El Tashano, I guess, is how you would say that. Rey Mysterio Sr., the uncle of Rey Mysterio, who I had never seen wrestle before this. So this is an introduction for me. And he looks nothing like I thought he would look. Uh, I thought he would look be similar in size and shape to Rey Mysterio Jr., he is not. He is a massive man himself and has a giant mullet and a mustache. And uh, they are teaming with Viano 3. So we have Viano 3 and Viano 5 tonight. So in case you're keeping up with the Vianos. Blitzkrieg is in red with lightning bolts. Peloto is in green. Raul, he sort of looks like Antonio Banderas. Uh, we know what Viano 3 looks like. Mysterio Sr. is, uh, as I mentioned, long-haired mustache man. And uh, El Tashano is the guy in the singlet, but he also has a mullet and stuff. Uh, Peloto clears the heels, but then they roll him back into the ring. Uh, Tashano hits a reverse elbow to Blitzkrieg, puts him in the corner for some chops. He flattens him with a clothesline and a scoop slam. Then he climbs to the top rope but gets slammed off like Ric Flair. Blitzkrieg throws him out, and Viano 3 and Raul take over. Raul hits a somersaulting senton out to Tashano on the ring mats, and then Peloto and Mysterio take over in the ring, Mysterio Sr. Peloto always hits the ropes like he's going to do a big move, but he never does. And then he tags out so Raul and Tashano can come back in. Uh, but then Blitzkrieg and Viano 3 take over. Viano lands a nasty-looking Centon splash to a down Blitzkrieg. I mean, Viano was a big man and hit a nasty Centon splash to Blitzkrieg and locks in a submission move, which, which Peloto breaks up. Peloto gets his ass kicked before tagging out. Raul eats a DVT from Viano and a leg drop. Peloto gets a quick Hurricane Rana and a three-count on Tashano, but the ref only shows two. And the bo- the booze rain in, Patrick, on this pilot episode of your show. 
the ref fucks up again, and he only counts a two on a clear three, and the crowd fucking boos the shit out of it. Well, he hits three, but says it's two. So it's uh, the, one of the strangest things I've ever seen. I've never, I, I've seen a lot of ref botches, but I've never seen someone hit three so clearly and then say, no, 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 it was two. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was uh, this was rough. All the luchas go crashing outside the ring. Then Jimmy Hart's team runs down and lays them all out, causing the DQ. So ding, 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 a fuck finish. Blitzkrieg is put in the noose that the the female doll was in, and uh, Suicida slams him around. We go to break, and it's all taken care of. It's all sorted out. But what did you think of uh, this third match with Rey Mysterio Sr. and uh, the others? He is a big-ass dude. He's a massive man. And I guess that was my thing was I just kept catching myself watching him because it is he is nothing like what I expected him to look like. Because I had never seen him either. I, kn- I knew that he had trained Rey Mysterio uh, Jr. or Rey Mysterio as he goes by now. But I ne- it never really occurred to me that he would be a different kind of you know, looking wrestler entirely. I just, I also assumed he would have a mask, which maybe he did in his earlier days. Cause that's a big thing is losing the mask or whatever. And in, in Lucha Libre. Um, but yeah, to see this guy trained Ray Mysterio jr. You couldn't convince me of that. If uh, you I would have said you are, you no, 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 there's no way, but he did. That is his guy. So, uh, his nephew. Um, uh, the Lucha Girls danced to that shitty Conan rap song. As uh, I actually thought that song was cool when I was a kid, so I, I'm embarrassed of myself. As Conan brings out Raymond, yeah, it is. It's terrible. Uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. comes out with Hector Garza. Uh, we get Conan's promo that his regular bouty bouty and rowdy rowdy. They're gonna take on. Pirata Morgan, Juventud Guerrero, and Psychosis. So Pirata Morgan is a pirate. So I guess his name is just Pirate Morgan. He's got the eye patch. He doesn't have a hook hand. If he had a hook hand, I kind of would have liked him better. Uh, he's also a heavier dude. Um, but he's there with all these guys except for him. We're on the main roster and are memorable to WCW fans. Mysterio Jr. starts off against the Pirate, but then Psychosis takes over. Psychosis misses a dropkick to Mysterio in the corner. Mysterio does a springboard leap into the electric chair position on Psychosis before taking him down with a head scissors. Garza comes in to take on the Pirate. Garza and the Pirate have some nice exchanges on the ring mats before Hoovy comes into the ring to challenge Ray. Conan gets a tag and takes on the Pirate. Conan does a lot more lucha offense than usual because he does some... Uh, Kind of those, those Lucha-style arm drags. Uh, he, he comes off the second rope. Like, Conan was getting kind of the most athletic I had seen him in the late 90s. Conan actually put in some effort here. Uh, Garza yeah. comes back in and works with Hoovy. Garza drop kicks Parata off the apron before hitting a rotating planche into him on the mats. Ray hits his springboard somersaulting Centon to Hoovy on the outside of the ring. Psychosis and Conan are left all alone, where Conan counters the guillotine leg drop, hits his face buster, locks in the tequila sunrise. Before the gringos, that's what I'll call them, 
the uh, the the white guys and Norman Smiley and also uh, Chavo Jr. Guys in blue jeans come out to break it up, including Lenny Lane and Fit Finley. Uh, they all come out to break this up, and this ends in a big fuck finish. And this is where I assume the first taping ends, and the next one begins. I think. I say it ends there. There's a little bit more. Uh, Blitzkrieg, Peloto, and Kendo come out and join the brawl. And uh, so then then we go to break. So we get everybody brawls. And that is a classic WCW finish. But this match was very disappointing because these were the biggest stars that I assume the audience even knew of in Waco, Texas. Uh, these were the biggest stars I knew of. And you didn't get a clean finish. And... Wow. Kind of disappointing. So, uh, what'd you think of this match? I I'm with you. I wish we could have got a clean finish on it because it it was a big deal. I would say with this this being the biggest stars, like you said, uh, at the show that night. I don't know. I'd like to have seen a clean finish as well. I think yeah, would have. Or, or I would have liked to have seen some of these guys in singles matches if. If you're just going to waste them in multi-man tags, like I, I would have rather seen a few singles matches with them. Because on this show, Patrick, we get a total of one singles match. And uh, what a singles match it was, my friend. But anyway, we move on. We get more Lucha Girls dancing. Of course, we need that. And we're back. We're recycling our guys already. So this is uh, episode two. I guess, of what it was supposed to be. Salcero, Peloto, and Raul are back out. They're going to take on uh, Moscow, Felino, and Hoovy. Uh, Peloto and Felino start the match. There are two refs here, as I mentioned, uh, throughout the night. Hoovy comes in, takes over on Peloto. Salcero replaces him, tussles with Hoovy. Before Raul comes in to take on Moscow, he gets thrown out of the ring. Raul dances a bit, so we have uh, Raul kind of... Uh, taking Salcero's gimmick. Uh, Salcero comes in to face Felino, but he tags in Peloto. Hoovy sucks chance as he lands a missile drop kick that sends Peloto out of the ring. Flying head scissors from Salcero to Moscow. Salcero hits a tope con Hilo. This leaves Felino and Raul in the ring. Felino hits a sit-out powerbomb from the buckle to Raul, and they exit the ring as Hoovy and Peloto are left in. Hoovy top rope Herc and Ron to Peloto. Then he botches... A suplex. Not once, but twice. Yes, Hoovy, one of the top guys. He fucks up a suplex twice on uh, Peloto Suicido. So Suicide Pilot, I guess, is the translation. And uh, Peloto uh, covers Hoovy to hide it on the second one that he misses. But Hoovy is not going to let this go. And uh, decides to do a Hoovy driver. And he gets the pin as he pins uh, Peloto Suicida. And uh, Hoovy does the ultimate thing here, like the ultimate I don't give a shit about any of this, and just walks off. So he hit his finish and just walks off. Does not even... I know he was... I think he was part of the... No, he was part of the babyface team, I think. Was he? No, no. He was part of the heels. But he just walks off. Uh, Hoovy just gets a big pouty face and walks off. Yeah, he had a shitty match. He was probably ready to go home, and he got to go home. Uh, what did you think of this match, the the opening match of the second hour? 
It didn't. It didn't deliver. We go to break and Blitzkrieg, Kendo, and Laparka come out. To Laparka's theme, they will face Kaz Hayashi. Hey, Kaz. Psychosis and Ron Rivera, not the NFL coach. Uh, Ron Rivera's in camo. He sort of looks like a Misfits in Action guy. He's kind of generic. Psychosis takes on Laparka to start the match. Uh, By the way, I had to look up all these guys' names. Like, I had to look at their cage match info because there's no lower thirds. There's nothing to tell you anything about them. So, um, and if you want to learn more about them, go look it up on cage match. I just, I'm not going to get into the bios of all these guys. Uh, Some some of them didn't have bios. Raul did not have a bio, as far as I remember. Um, Psychosis takes on Laparka to start the match. Hits a Hurricane Rana from the top, followed by a kick. And Laparka has to go out and regroup. Rivera and Blitzkrieg are in the match now. Blitzkrieg kicks Rivera out of the ring, and then it's time for Kendo and Kaz. Kendo hits some very bad head scissors to Kaz Hayashi and a very slow insiguri. Laparka wants the crowd to clap. He wants to get a chant going, but this crowd is dead. They're there, done with this show. And he dances a bit before Psychosis kicks him down. Kendo lands a tope uh, to Kaz on the outside of the ring. A suicide dive from Kendo to Psychosis. Finally, Laparka lands another corkscrew plancha to all of them. This leaves Blitzkrieg to hit a corkscrew pl- splash to Rivera and win the match for his team. So another... Uh, Good showing for Laparka. As I said, Laparka was, I think, the standout on this show, which tells you everything you need to know about this show. But uh, your thoughts on this one? I love Laparka, and this was, I think, a, a really good match. I, that's my opinion on it. I don't. Yeah, know this what... this might have been the the most uh, sound one, uh, except <sighs> there were some really uh, bad kendo. Hitting a, he had a very bad head scissors and a very bad looking insiguri. But outside of that, the rest of them looked fine. Uh, Kaz Hayashi is always a guy that I've been impressed with, um, and and he did fine. And he was very young here too, so um, a few months before he hopped in a boy band in WC. No, he wasn't in three count. He was in the other one. He was in uh, the Young Dragons. Excuse me, uh, I. I get three because they had a feud, so that's why I get them confused with three count. We get more mariachi dancers as we come back from break. El Tashano is out with Ray Sr. and the Volanos. Oh, it's an eight-man tag. We're upping the ante here, folks. Estado Carabino Asadio. That is Jimmy Hart's gang that was featured earlier. It's Fidel Sierro, Peroth Jr., Sicopata and Ricky Santana. So that is Jimmy Hart's crew. They didn't work in the first hour, so they only had to work this show. But I guess they were going to be the big group on uh, Festival de Lucha. Uh, Fidel is the one with the beard. Uh, the mustache man with curly hair is Peroth Jr. The masked man is Sicopata. And the Puerto Rican flag singlet guy is Ricky Santana. The heels get heat on Tashano for ages while the faces wait for a tag. One of the Vianos comes in to take on Peroth, uh, but Sicopata cuts him off. The heels double-team Viano 3 as the faces just watch. Eventually, Viano 3 gets Santana out of the ring and DDTs Peroth. Uh, Viano DDT Santana, who no-sells it, uh, to fight Mysterio Sr., Sicopata takes over for the heels, but quickly 
dispatches them. Tashano quickly dispatches him with some backbreakers. Tashano does a very slow plancha to Sikopada on the outside. One of the Vianos rolls up Santana for a near fall and then cradles him for another near fall. We get freedom powder to the eyes of the one of the Vianos and Santana rolls him up and gets the win for the heels. So the big heel group here, they have to throw freedom powder to get the win. And uh, Jimmy Hart has his one and only victory with this crew of which he would probably never see again in his life. Uh, this sucked. Uh, what are you, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, this is pretty rough. <laughs> this was pretty rough. Yeah, especially when they were the only team that had an in-ring promo. You know, you had all the, I call them the gringos, the guys in, in jeans with Jericho and Smiley and those guys. But those guys were posi- positioned higher than this team that you gave the promo to. So I don't understand this at all. Uh, we come back from break and the Lucha girls are dancing to Conan's music again. Oh boy, a replay uh, of the Conan music. But it's not a replay. It's a new match. Ray Conan, Hector Garza, and Silver King are out, so they've expanded their team. Another eight-man tag coming up. Jacked Norman Smiley in the best shape of his life here. Uh, He's out with Jericho, Johnny Swinger, and Lenny Lane. What a group with Fit Finley in their corner. What a random collection of wrestlers we have here. My buddy Swinger. Yeah. In some work south of the border. Lenny Lane tries to get a Jericho chance started as Johnny Swinger comes in, but Lenny Lane instead comes in, squares off against Mysterio. Mysterio hits a Bronco Buster to Lane, and he tags out. Swinger comes in to face Garza. Garza super kicks him for a near fall. Smiley takes over on Garza, tags Jericho in, so they double-team Garza with shoulder tackles. And then Jericho follows up with a suplex in the come-on-baby pose for a one-count. Lane hits Swinger hits an assisted leg drop to Garza. Then Silver comes in and takes on Smiley. Smiley scoop slams Silver King, does the big wiggle, but gets DDT'd from Silver King, his future tag team partner in WCW, by the way, if they hadn't already done that. I kind of forget. Finley lays Silver King out when the heels dump him out of the ring. Lane power slams Silver King when he gets back into the ring. And then Silver King drops him out of the ring again, hits a springboard cross, out to the ring mat. Swinger then gets taken out by Mysterio. Conan hits a face buster to Smiley. Goes for the Tequila Sunrise. Jericho breaks it up. Garza's all alone with Jericho. Jericho DDTs him. Puts in the Lion Tamer. And Hector Garza taps out to Jericho. Which the backup ref saw and the other one didn't. So it all, it was almost all for nothing. But the backup ref saw it. So in, in this case the backup ref did save the day. And once again... Uh, Chris Jericho and these and the gringos are put over all your Lucha stars. So I don't know exactly what they were going for here. I don't either. <laughs> Decent match for what it was, you know. Well, I mean, at least it featured stars because this crowd, I mean, they 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 knew who a lot of these guys were, at least. But by this point, they were pretty zapped. Uh, as was I watching this show, it was just tough with no commentary, no storylines to keep uh, going through. Um, but I, I went through it for you. I did it all for you, Patrick. Um, 
Blitzkrieg, Super Callow, and Venom, who doesn't have his mask anymore but face paint, as I mentioned earlier. They're out to take on Moscow, Felino, and Psychosis. The heels work over Super Callow and Venom. Moscow hits a guillotine leg drop to Venom. Felino hits a powerbomb. Psychosis covers him for a near fall. The heels keep the heat on Venom. Felino powerbombs him again. Uh, Felino just keeps beating him down here. Super Callow comes in to take his place, and he runs into the same fate as the heels just beat him down. Blitzkrieg gets the hot tag, and finally someone gets some offense on Psychosis. Psychosis misses Blitzkrieg in the corner, goes tumbling out. This allows Moscow and Venom to take cover and to take over in the ring. Venom takes Moscow out of the ring, leaving Super Callow and Felino to do battle. Felino powerbombs Callow for a near fall. Venom comes back into the ring. Felino hits a super sit-out powerbomb for the win off the top turnbuckle as this match was ice cold for the majority of it. Even for these big power bomb spots that Felino hit was just nothing was brewing here. Uh, but your thoughts on uh, this match? Uh, it just didn't seem like it got off the ground for me. I don't know what was lacking. Uh, it just isn't. They were losing steam quite a bit. And I don't know if it was trying to squeeze everything into one quick spot fest or what but it just seemed off yeah so uh we go into another match of the same guys that we've seen already garza la parka kendo and raul come out again they'll be facing kaz norman smiley fit finley and johnny swinger this time jericho's in the corner so he gets the match off like fit finley did before jericho cuts a promo uh so he improvises here. It's not like they gave him one. He says he was supposed to wrestle, but he's beaten every Mexican in here. So he's giving himself the night off, which if this was taped in order that it, we were watching it in, that means the crowd knew that they just had seen him earlier. So, yeah. Uh, tough Did to get... think that they were going to shoot uh, like two matches per show, and this was a quick one gigantic show and they were going to cut it into pieces. Yeah. Yeah. No, they definitely, it was definitely shot like multiple shows, but like if, if it was, if we're seeing it in the order that it was taped, it's just very strange. And, or to have Jericho say like, I'm having the night off, even though this crowd just saw you. But again, I think Jericho is being punished because as we all know, he left WCW in 99, and that's why he was put on this taping. And, yeah. I mean, I mean, on his way out of WCW is when he had the feud with Perry Saturn and the dress that Saturn ended up wearing. And then for his the last few weeks of his contract, he only got to work house shows. So uh, they definitely, they were pissed that he was leaving. So I think Jericho, to even give that promo... If it if this was in the order that it happened, then he was just shitting on this whole thing, which a lot of guys I think were in their performance and their attitudes towards this taping, which I don't blame them because this thing is just a mess. Uh, Raul takes Kaz out of the ring. Jericho tries to fire him back up. Laparka and Smiley have a dance off, so uh, way before their time here. Uh, Kaz has a crossbody countered by Raul with a drop kick followed by a tombstone. Which, again, all these big moves, tombstones, power bombs, tiger bombs, no one's going to sell those. So, no one does. <laughs> uh, Finley comes in with uh, Johnny Swinger. They get drop kicked out of the ring by Laparka and Kendo. 
Then they get suicide dives from the Luchas. Garza slams Smiley, hits a standing moonsault for a two count. Smiley locks in his version of the Cobra Clutch and wins the match after Garza taps out again. So once again, Garza made to do the job to the Gringos. And the Gringos go 2-0 and no on all your Lucha stars that you're trying to build up. Like I, like I, they... Like I said, they must have been perp- doing this on purpose. Bischoff wanted this to fail, and he, he achieved. He achieved. Um, really nothing more to say there. More Lucha Lady dancing when we come back from break. Ray Jr., Salsera, and Peloto are back out to take on Damien, Halloween, and Superboy. So we get a second Superboy match, thank goodness. Damien brings a kendo stick with him. Salsera hits Superboy with a missile drop kick before Halloween hits one of his own. Halloween crotches Salsero. Mysterio bulldogs Halloween off the top. Superboy and Peloto square off. Peloto gets Superboy out of the ring. Salsero comes in to eat a super kick from Halloween. Superboy crushes Peloto with another splash from the top rope. This was brutal. Uh, yes. Because of Superboy's mass. Uh, yes. The Luchas do a four-way leg lock with one another in a circle. And Mysterio tries to pin Halloween in the middle with like a, a Hurricane Rana. Halloween accidentally, though, nails Superboy, and Peloto takes him out of the ring. Mysterio hits his somersaulting plancha to Halloween. Then Salsera gets a near fall on Damien from Arana. Tries a victory roll, gets a two-count. Damien hits a muscle buster-looking uh, finisher, even though it's a shoulder breaker. It's not like Joe, where Samoa Joe drops you to the mat. He drops him as a shoulder breaker here. And so Damien picks up the win here. Uh, on Salsero with this muscle buster looking finisher in probably I'd say this is the second best best match of the night out of yes. the bunch. They just beat down Mysterio after the match. So they beat down one of their other biggest stars here. So he looks like a joke. Then we get our main event, Patrick. And who do you want for your main event? As I mentioned, they advertise Scott Steiner. Well, he's not he's not going to do this. I told so, you this the greatest match you will ever see. So we called Glenn Gilberti. We called Disco Inferno. Why, you ask? Because, and this all makes sense now, because in storyline, okay, so the wolf pack broke. They didn't break up, but they, they turned into the super wolf pack slash Hollywood thing at the finger poke of doom thing. And so on Nitro, Conan had sort of quit that group. Uh, and it makes no sense that Conan would have quit that group because Conan, of all the people in the Wolfpack, he benefited the most of that group. And so for him to quit the NWO Wolfpack, they must have been thinking, well, we're going to start this Lucha show. He's going to be the big star, and we can spin him off that way. Well, they obviously they didn't start the Lucha show, or they did. They taped this thing, and it never took off. And so... Where do you want to pay off this big Wolfpack Conan feud? You want to pay it off on Festival de Lucha. And who do you want from the Wolfpack to face Conan? Of course, the representative of the Wolfpack, Disco Inferno, who had had the same storyline as Jeff Jarrett and the Four Horsemen, where he wanted to join. They didn't like him. He put on a shirt, was just sort of written out of the group. I don't even think... It ever really had a conclusion on TV. This is the conclusion. This is it taking place on Festival Day Lucha. Um, and so this is Conan's big revenge against the NWO Wolfpack for turning their back on him. Because right. 
the wolf pack is back causing mass destruction. And uh, that is what Disco Inferno was out to do tonight, cause mass destruction. So Conan calls out Disco Inferno, and uh, here are my notes from the match. Conan DDTs him for a two-count. Disco Inferno low-blows him, and then Rey Mysterio drop-kicks Disco behind the ref's back. Tequila Sunrise, Conan wins. As, yes, Patrick, Conan needed help from Rey Mysterio to beat Disco Inferno. I told you. I know. He was an obstacle to overcome, and uh, he, he needed help. It's the greatest the greatest match in Disco Inferno's career. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was good as uh, as good as Halloween Havoc 99 where he got a standing ovation with Lash LaRue. Uh, this uh, sucked. And uh, yeah, it, it just says a lot about yeah, I th- Bischoff was sa- this is a joke. This whole thing is just a big fucking joke. And uh, they wasted a lot of money on the set and all the extra talent they had to bring in for this and uh, the salsa dancers and everything else. But at the end, it was designed to fail. And fail it did. It never got picked up by Telemundo. And uh, the Lucha ladies dance us out and uh, dance us. I enjoyed it. I really did. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was done very well. It was a lot like the NWA pre-tapings where you're, the cameras are rolling, you have no commentary, and you're there watching the same guys do like three matches in one sitting. And uh, <coughs> there you can tell they're going to go back and cut and edit uh voices commentary into it and cut and edit three or four shows out of this one event. And so I think it was done very well. I liked it. Yeah, I I would like it if there was a finished product version and maybe we could have seen what they had plans because if we could have seen what they had planned if we could have seen some of the soap opera elements i mean telemundo tele telenovelas are big in on telemundo and so had they shot some of that stuff or um you know lucha underground is probably the best example of what i they would have tried for but we don't see any of that stuff and so all we get are just raw matches and um some botches and no context and no explanation and a crowd that is zapped and was there for free probably got a got a free hot dog and a day at the arena and uh yeah i just it stunk but let's move on let's uh get to our rating scale because we're, we're running long here but on our rating scale of hornswoggle to giant gonzalez where do you rank festival de lucha uh I'm going to give it a Ray Mysterio senior. Oh, see, I was I'm going to I'm going to give it a Ray Mysterio senior as well because that's really what this show did for me because I had never uh, had the inclination <laughs> to look up Ray Mysterio senior and see what he looked like and this show brought him to me 
and uh, it's interesting. And um, that's about it. That's all I can really say is, hey, thanks for showing me what Rey Mysterio Sr. looks like. Uh, it's my pick for next week. Uh, I'll just uh, I'll just put it bluntly. We'll do Survivor Series 1990. Uh, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of Undertaker, so Survivor Series 1990, which is a show that I think I have on VHS tape uh, that I bought from the video store as it closed. So really? I might watch I might watch that version, uh, the Coliseum Home Video version. I might watch. Ooh, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was. I don't know when when Video Park in my hometown was the name of uh, the video store. It was closing, and this was before video stores closed overall. This is way before Redbox and stuff. This was uh, in the mid '90s. This place closed, and so I bought like a video game. I bought a Spider-Man video game, Maximum Carnage, and I bought for whatever reason I wanted this Survivor Series tape. I had never seen it. And it just looked cool, and I got that. And uh, so, yeah, Survivor Series 1990. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Head over to RetroWrestlingPodcast.com. And where can they find you on the interwebs, Patrick? Find me at Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling on Facebook. Uh, at Ref Patrick on Twitter. Is that right? Ref Patrick Young. Ref Patrick Young on Twitter. I'm always available to answer any and all questions. I will always be glad to talk with any and all fans. I will get any and all information you want. If I can't, I will find out for you. As always, I am the one and only, the greatest referee in wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo. Bingo. What we're talking about here is we're talking about Bloody yeah, Sunday. Uh, we're talking about the night. And we're talking about the thugs. T is for terrible. H is for hell. U is for ugly. And G is for jail. Because a thug can't spell. That's what I think of the USWA. And that's what these outlaws think, man. Uh, Tracy's mother is going for a, a side headlock. And the bear very quickly countered that. Shut up! Oh, there we go. Uh-oh, here it comes. Austin, sit down and shut up, you bunch of dippers and build your calls. I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna cross that river. I'm gonna kiss tomorrow now. You're gonna wanna hold me, just like I always told you. You're gonna miss me when I'm gone. Nobody here will ever find me But I will always be around Just like the songs I leave behind me When I walked out here, I heard one of you fucks say Tracy sucks. If I hear a Tracy sucks, 
I'm going to roll out of this ring and commence to beat the hell out of everybody in this building. Who said there are no heels left in this business? Tracy smothers him. <laughs> the Streisand effect. And if I hear a Sue, 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 work with me here. <laughs> You're all smart, Mark. <laughs> they think they are. You know something? I've traveled all over the world. I got to say this. New York City is the asshole of the world. Look at Tracy's face. James, don't come out there and smack you and your daughter. I ain't playing. Oh, my God. This ain't Facebook. Uh, more, more talking. Hey, look out, y'all. There's Andre. Okay. <laughs> Walter with a microphone. That was the greatest spot I've seen this week. That is so <laughs> sucks now. <laughs> I'm gonna live forever now. Oh, keep going. I'm considered one of the baddest motherfuckers, toughest motherfuckers in this business. Why am I in the ring with this crazy psycho bitch? I'm gonna live forever.